Hebrews chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verse number 9. Hebrews chapter 2, verse number 9, but we're actually going to start reading back up in verse number 6. Hebrews chapter 2, let's start reading in verse number 6, you follow along, and I'll read down through verse number 9. But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownedest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all things in subjection under him, he hath left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not all things put under him. All right, now let me stop and ask you a question. Who is that talking about? Any other ideas? How about Adam? He's talking about Adam. All right, now look at verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Now, we're going to see some great significance in these passages here. I'm, in the mornings on, during this month, I'm going to be preaching a series of messages on the Christ of Christmas. And we started that this morning. We talked about the Trinity and how Christ is part of the triune God. In the evenings, we're going to be looking at the topic of born to die and how Jesus Christ was born to die for our sins. And as we look at this passage here, verse number 9 is really our text. It says, but we see Jesus made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. I'm going to do something tonight that is not my normal way of preaching. We're going to go phrase by phrase through this verse. We're going to talk about every phrase and detail all of the details that are in this verse. And I want to show you some things in here that I think can be a real encouragement to us as we think about the fact that Jesus Christ was born to die. Right now, as we look at this, we see, first of all, the first phrase, but we see Jesus. But we see Jesus. When he says here that we see Jesus, he's talking about being able to discern him. The, the word r- r- refers to being able to discern or perceive by the use of our eyes. Now, obviously, we do not literally see Jesus with our eyes. So he's talking not in a literal sense here, but we perceiving him in our minds. We perceive Jesus. We can picture Jesus in our minds. And he's reminding us of that. And so he says, we see or we perceive. The word Jesus. The word Jesus refers to um, the Lord Jesus, of course. And the name actually means Jehovah is salvation. Jehovah is salvation. And he says here that we see Jesus, this Jehovah is salvation. In, in the scripture, Christ is known by a lot of different names. And often he's called the Christ. He's called Lord. He's called the Word. He's called the Son of God. He's called the Son of Man. And he's called Emmanuel. And many other titles that are given to the Lord that refer to him. But here he says, we see Jesus. So he's talking about the Lord Jesus. And then he goes on, he says, who was made a little lower than the angels. The little phrase there, made a little lower. 
Uh, this is not addressing his origin when it says made a little lower. He's not talking about the origin of Christ. God made him or, or created him. It's not the idea. This isn't promoting the idea that Christ was created. The, act, the word actually means to be uh, placed in an inferior place. It deals not with origin, but its position. And so Christ was positioned a little lower than the angels. And he, was, he humbled himself and became a servant. We read there in Philippians chapter 2. He humbled himself and became a servant. And he became like one of his creatures that he had created. And so he, the terms there that he is, makes him less or inferior. Then the angels. That's an important phrase there. He's made a little lower than the angels. Now that takes us back to verse 7. All right. Now, when you look at verse 7, you know, there is a temptation to think, as I should describe there, that it's talking about Jesus Christ, because it's actually referring to Jesus Christ in verse number 9, the same phrase. But the first time, he's talking about when God created Adam, and he made him a little lower than the angels, and crowned him with glory and honor, and set him over all the works of his hands. You read back in the book of Genesis how God did this to man. He made man in his own image and he set him over all of his creation. Now this is a very, very important and exciting thing as we look at this and some things that are going to be unraveled as we look into this passage here tonight that I think can be a very encouraging uh, aspect to it uh, as we look at this. Now, as we think about this, man... Is in, was positioned a little lower than the angels, and that was an honor. All right, when God created man, he created the angels, but then he created man just a little bit lower than the angels. God could have created man a lot lower than the angels. He could have created us more like the animals, which are far less than the angels, but he created us a little lower than the angels and gave us the image of God, and that was a blessing. But then when Christ was made a little lower than the angels, that was a humiliating place to be. Because for us, to be a little lower than the angels is an honor. We're close to the, you know, not too far under the angels. But for Christ to be put under the angels, who is God Almighty, that was a very humiliating place to be. And so Christ here is placed a little lower than the angels. The Father purposely placed the Son in this lower place below the angels. And Christ himself took upon him the humility of a servant. We read in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 7, but, he, uh, but made himself of no reputation, reputation and took upon him, uh, him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. So Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, became a man, took upon him the form of a man, the likeness of man, and humbled himself and became like a servant. But then notice the next phrase. He says, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. The word for there, and I'm going to get a little technical just for a moment here. The word for is the word dia in the Greek. doesn't mean much to most of you. But the word dia can be translated in various ways, but when it's used as it is here, it refers to for the sake of. So he was made a little lower than the angels for the sake of suffering death. Now that's significant. 
Jesus briefly became a human a little lower than the angels for a specific purpose. And that purpose was to suffer death. Now think with me. He, being God, could not die. If he would have been one of the angels. Angels do not die. But he was made a little lower than the angels as one of the humans who do die. That he might be able to die in their place. So he was made a little lower than the angels for the purpose of, or for the sake of, suffering death. Jesus must become a man in order to suffer and die. And though Jesus, being God, was all-knowing, suffering eternal damnation as a divine human for the human race was something that was yet, not yet actually experienced by him. Now, he knew all about it because he's God, but he hadn't actually experienced such a thing in an experiential way. And he took on him the form of a man that he might experience, he might go through, he might suffer for us. As we look at the text again, it says, for the suffering of death. Every now and then, for the sake of, I suppose, ease of reading, the translators left out things that made it maybe easier to read. But they left out here in front of the word death, the definite article. It says, literally, it says, for the suffering of the death. The death. What death? The death of the cross. The death that would pay the debt of our sin. It wasn't just any death. It was the death, the specific death. You know, you think about it, to to back up what I just said, Think about Jesus' ministry. What happened to him when he went to Nazareth? And he preached there in Nazareth, his hometown. Do you remember what happened to Jesus? They got so mad at him that they dragged him out to the cliff that was outside of the city of Nazareth, and they were getting ready to throw him over the cliff. And what did Jesus do? He turned around and walked away. And they couldn't touch him. They were grabbing him. They were dragging him out there, and he just got up and walked away. They had no power over him. Why? Because it was not God's time and that was not God's way. God didn't plan for him to be thrown over the cliff. God planned for him to die the death of the cross. There were other times that people hated Jesus and wanted to kill him. They picked up stones ready to stone him to death. That wasn't God's plan. And Jesus walked away. Each time when they tried to kill him in another way, he escaped without any harm. Why? Because of who he was. And because that wasn't God's plan. He was, God said he was crowned, uh, sorry, he, that he was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of the death, the death of the cross. And you read that in, in, in uh, Philippians 2 again. It said that he humbled himself even to the death of the cross. And so there was a specific death. And then the next phrase, crowned with glory and honor. I believe this is the key to understanding the whole verse, this next phrase. 
And as I dug through this, I had such a glorious time in my studies. So pay close attention. This is awesome. The word crowned is in the perfect passive, it's a perfect passive participle, which means that it, it is an action that was done to Christ. It was passive, so it was done to him in the past, one time for all, once for all, never needing to be done again. All right? So he was crowned with glory and honor sometime in the past, never to be done again in that way. Now, many commentators, if you pick up most commentaries and you read this passage, they would say, well, this is talking about he was crowned with glory and honor after he died and rose again, and he was crowned with glory and honor, and that was a great honor for him to do that. And there was a great honor in that. But that's not what it's talking about here. And there's another evidence that that's what, not, why. When you go back to verse number 7, verse 7 is talking about Adam. And how God created Adam. And he made Adam a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor and set him, bef- up and set him over all the works of his hand. Now, as we look at this, some very significant things here. It, uh, it requires a significant twist to apply this glory and honor to the death and resurrection of Christ. It's out of place in, this, in the verse. It comes before his death in the verse. And you have to twist it. The grammar doesn't allow that. There's a lot of things that don't allow that, but most commentaries do that because they don't know what else to do with it. But one commentator named Peter Pett, a Baptist pastor, uh, has an awesome uh, commentary in this verse. And it's very detailed, very extensive, and very helpful. And as I poured over that, my heart was just thrilled with what he shared. You know, it doesn't fit to apply this glory and honor to his eternal glory and honor that he had in the past and that he'll get again. It doesn't fit the context for that. It's talking about another glory. And back in verse number 7, look at it again. It says, Thou madest him a little lower than the angels and crownedest him with glory and honor and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Now, these verses here are comparing. Remember, the whole book of, uh, of Hebrews is a book of comparison. Comparing Christ with other things to show that he was better. And it showed that he is better than the angels. It was showing that he was better than, than the original creation. He was better. He, God, Jesus Christ, is better than all of these. And as we look at this, it speaks of man's creation back in Genesis 1 and 2, in verses, verse 7 and 8. It speaks of that. And as you go back there and look at that, we'll see that in just a moment on that. But then, in, in, in God's wisdom, he created the angels as spirits and as his heavenly servants. Right? Angels were created as, as his heavenly servants. We see that in Psalm 104, verse 4. It says, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. And when God created man, he positioned him a little lower than the angels. So the angels were ministering spirits. Man's a little bit lower than the angels. And God crowned man with glory and honor and set him over the works of his hands. God gave man dominion over all of his creation. We can see that back in Genesis. God told Adam 
that he was to name all the creatures. He was, had dominion over all of those animals, all of those creatures. And Adam and Eve sinned, and when they sinned, they lost much of their glory and honor and dominion. They don't have that anymore. We don't have that same glory and honor and dominion that Adam had. Adam had power over the creatures that were around him. And being the perfect God-man, the second Adam, Jesus, was positioned a little lower than the angels and he was crowned with the glory and honor that God gave Adam in the Garden of Eden. He was crowned with that same glory and honor. And I want to read an extensive paragraph here that Peter Pett where he reminds us of some of the ways that Jesus, while human, had dominion over all things. And let this sink into your heart as as I read this. He demonstrated his lordship over creation and superiority uh, to angels. He was with the evil beasts, or the wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. It was during his Temptation, Mark chapter 1, verse 13. The evil spirits obeyed Christ and were cast out by Him. Mark chapter 1, 25 to 26. This was done regularly. The water turned to wine or grape juice at uh, at His will. It was water. He spoke and it changed. He changed the nature of that. He had dominion over the water. He had dominion over the fish. The fish moved at his command. In Luke chapter 5, verses 4 to 6, Matthew 17, and also in John 21. We find also that the wind and the waves obeyed his bidding. He just spoke and they obeyed him. The sea provided him with a pathway through the storm. Mark chapter 6, 48. The storm ceased at his presence, Mark 6, 51. The unbroken ass walked quietly into Jerusalem through noisy crowds, responsive, uh, uh, noisy crowds response, responsive to his hands on that donkey. Jesus rode that donkey. Now, I mean, just growing up on a farm, I know that animals, no matter how nice they might be, you get on their back and they go nuts. Unless they're used to that. I mean, I had tame calves. We could pet them. They'd walk up to us. But you try jumping on their back and that was a different story. And they'd take off. That wasn't... wasn't. And same thing with this unbroken donkey. And Jesus climbed on that unbroken donkey and rode it not just down a quiet path in the woods, but through a wild crowd of people that were shouting and singing and praising him. No donkey would do that. They would go crazy. But Jesus had control over that donkey. Jesus spoke to the fig tree and it withered at his command. Mark chapter eleven fourteen. All these emphasized the restoration of the crowning of the glory and honor that Jesus Christ had. Now, as I thought about that, think with me the applications or the implications of that. Could it be that God gave 
Adam that kind of power over nature. It very well could be. And one of the things that came to my mind as I pondered this that was exciting, I've often wondered why didn't Eve freak out when the, when the serpent spoke to her? Could it be that they were used to talking to the animals and used to communing with them and used to telling them what to do and used to having dominion over them? I mean, you think of some other explanation of that. That one's always troubled me. How could Eve not... I mean, if, if a snake started talking to you, you, you'd probably take off running. You wouldn't sit there and debate with it. And something was unique. And could it be that that's the kind of a life that God had planned for His creatures to have dominion over all creation so that creation would... Listen to their bidding. But you know one of the things? God took that away. Why? Because if God hadn't taken that away, can you imagine what it would be like today with a sinful nature and that kind of ability? (laughs) I mean, people would be doing all kinds of terrible things if they had that kind of ability with dominion over creatures and a sinful nature to do it. But with a perfect nature, Adam never abused that. Adam never would have taken advantage of that. He never would have hurt the animals or caused the the trees to do something that they shouldn't do. He would have had a perfect response to everything. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus had absolute power. He had the power and dominion that Adam and Eve were given back in the garden. He was the perfect man. And he was able to just speak the word and the fig tree died. He was able to climb on that donkey and the donkey never flinched. He was able to speak the word and Peter's net was full of fish. He was able to speak the word and the sea was calm. He had dominion over all of nature. And that's exactly what God told Adam that he had. is dominion over all that God had created. That is amazing. When I read that, I just thought, whoa, that is awesome. If that was what Adam's life was like, what a shocker for him to lose all of that when he sinned and was left with a few tame cows and sheep. And they don't even want to follow your advice very much. They don't listen to him. He lost his dominion. He lost his power. He lost his ability to control the things that God had created. And now Jesus Christ, the the second Adam, the perfect man, came and fulfilled all that was to be done before. As Adam had all that glory and dominion, now Christ receives that glory and dominion. Peter Peck goes on and he says, and it was this overlordship of creation that revealed that he was the perfect man as God had intended man to be. And it was this that made him fitted to taste death for everyone because it, w- it revealed that he was truly the second man, the last Adam, man restored to what he should be. End quote. Jesus Christ When he came to this earth, he came to be born to die, but he took upon him the the characteristic of the perfect man. And as I thought about this, 
You think about all these things that Jesus did. He had that ability even when he was a boy. He was, he was Emmanuel from the time he was born. And yet Jesus, because of his perfect nature, did not abuse that. How many times it must have been tempting to, you know, when people were being mean to him or other playmates were not being kind to him. Kids are going to be kids. He could have spoken the word and done them harm. He had control over all things. But he didn't because he had a perfect nature, a sinless nature that would not abuse that which God had given him. And Adam once had that sinless nature that would never have abused that. But sin entered the picture, changed it all. And so when Adam and Eve sinned, they lost far more than their nice little garden. They lost their glory and honor and dominion over all that God had created. We continue on in the verse. It says, Crowned with glory and honor, that... By the grace of God. Let's just look at that phrase there. The word that means so that. So that. The grace of God. The aforementioned facts had to all be in place for the conclusion to take place. All that Christ became was planned in eternity past and fulfilled in detail to satisfy the wrath of God against sin. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So he says here that that, by the grace of God, that little phrase, by the grace of God, Christ's incarnation and subsequent atonement was all By grace. Man had utterly failed God. Adam and Eve had sinned. We have all sinned. All of creation had sinned against God. And Jesus Christ, being the perfect man, He came and by grace, He intervened. God owes us nothing. God owes us nothing. All that He has given to us is by grace. And He says that He, by, that he, by the grace of God, that divine enabling on our behalf, Christ became the man so that He could die for us. By the grace of God should taste death. The word should is a subjunctive Word, word subjunctive means that it's a possibility if the circumstances are right. And it says that he should taste death. Word taste there, we know what the word taste means. Literally, if you taste your food, you, you perceive the flavor of the food. But it also, on the other hand, refers to partaking in something. And so, the latter definition is what obviously talking about here. He wasn't licking death or tasting the flavor of death, but he was tasting or partaking of death. That he might taste or partake of death. All that 
this passage tells us about Christ had to be in place before he could taste death. He had to be that perfect man. He had to be that one who was crowned with glory and honor. He was that he was in the image of Adam, the first Adam, the per- perfect man. He was all that God had originally created in man, the perfect man, and he lived a perfect life for 33 years with no sin and no abuse of that perfect power that he had over nature. And he then did that in order that he might taste death for every man. In his eternal form, he could not taste death. It was necessary for him to become a man that he might taste death. And as the second Adam, the perfect man, having been crowned with that glory and honor over all creation, he was then ready to fulfill his reason for coming to this earth. He was born to die. John chapter 3 and verse 17 says, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Then the verse ends with three glorious words. For every man. For every man. Praise God for those words. Jesus tasted death on behalf of every man. First Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4 says, Who will have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. No one is exempt. Christ died for all. And though there are some today who say, No, Christ only died for the elect, or oh no, He only wants the elect. God, He died for all men. It makes it so clear for every man. Truly, Jesus was born to die as our substitute. Not the substitute just for me, not the substitute just for you, but the substitute for all men that they will receive what He's done for them. And so, tonight, what I want you to do is I want you to go back and I want you to think about this verse. Let it, just ponder on that. There's so much to dwell on. So much to ponder. So much to think about. As you think about Christ being crowned with glory and honor and all the things that Christ did in His life, in His ministry on this earth, that showed His power over all nature and over all creation. He was powerful over all that. And that is what God had given Adam back in the garden. And Adam threw it all away to believe the lie of the devil and disobey God. And as a result, lost all of that. And it's never been restored. But Christ fulfilled the perfect man and died in our place to pay the debt for our sin. And one day, we'll be in a glorified body. Better than it would have been in the Garden of Eden, I believe. Having a glorified body and be able to be with the Lord forever. So, ponder these verses let it go through your mind. Let, just dwell on that and think about that and remember that Jesus Christ died for you. He was born to die. 